And welcome to episode number 10 of the From the Booth podcast. My name is Cody Clark. My co-host is Evan Eichen. Evan, did you think we were going to make it to 10 episodes, my friend? <laughs> of course we did. Like, why wouldn't we make it to 10? Uh, of course I thought we'd make it to 10. Like, call me back when we get to like 100 or 1,000 or something. Oh, wow. All right. There we go. All right. Well, 10 episodes in. This is the From the Booth podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. A lot to get to here this week. Uh, we left off when we were on uh, last Wednesday with the podcast. The World Series Game 7 was happening that night, so we wanted to make sure we touched on that just real quick off the top. The Nationals winning the World Series four games to three over the Astros, uh, winning the title for the Nats. Steven Strasburg was the MVP. Evan, just a really great story, a team that started 19-31. and 31. Everybody wanted to can Davey Martinez. Everyone had this team down and out. And the run that they went on to turn it around, uh, they beat Garrett Cole. They beat Justin Verlander twice in the World Series. Uh, just a really huge accomplishment in the wake of the Bryce Harper departure in free agency. And Evan, you know, just a great story. And there were some really, really great Bryce Harper memes. The Bryce Harper memes were like the highlight of the like immediately after the game. I was here for every one of those. I was here for the Bryce Harper memes. Uh, but the Washington National story seems like this. It just might be over this year. Strasburg opted out. Opted out of the last bit of his contract. Rendon is absolutely going to command a gigantic Manny Manny Machado level offer. Ryan Zimmerman kind of planted the seeds of retirement uh, you don't like this is a nationals team that come opening day 2020 could look a lot different than they did when they won the world series it could look a lot different but a great story so we wanted to make sure we covered that here right off the top um, moving on to college basketball the opening of the college basketball season was last night Evan, two fantastic games you had number one michigan state you had number two kentucky and then you had uh, number three, Kansas, versus number four, Duke. And we saw Duke with a two-point win over Kansas to kind of get the night started in the, the State Farm Champions Classic. And then you had Kentucky with a nice showing over Cassius Winston and Michigan State. What is – I know we were kind of talking before we came on here, but what are what is the biggest takeaway for you from the, from the, the headliner college basketball games last night? That Kentucky didn't get – embarrassed like they did last year last year kentucky went against zion and duke and they got destroyed and that was the game where we started to like wake up and really pay attention to zion because it was like okay he's got the dunking highlights but can the guy actually play basketball and then we saw him against duke last year and it was like oh my god this guy is incredible and we have yet to see him in the NBA, but the one takeaway is that Tyrese Maxey scored 26 points off the bench with 7 of 12 shooting and hit essentially the game-ending three-pointer for Michigan State. The Spartans only shot 29% in the first half, 5 for 26 from 3. I mean, those are the kinds of games that John Calipari is going to need because they only shot 39% from the field and uh, managed to walk away with a win against the number one team in the country. Yeah, that was a big shot by Maxi. Well, that was a three with a minute left, I think, to make it 65-60 to 60, right after Cassius Winston 
uh, had cashed in on a three-point play, making a basket and getting fouled and making a free throw. So that was a big win for Kentucky. As Evan mentioned, uh, Maxie with a phenomenal game off the bench, 7 of 12 from the field, uh, 9 of 10 from the free throw line as well. He played 32 minutes off the pine. Uh, you also had uh, Hagens with 11 and quickly with 10, but it was the it was the Maxi show last night uh, with as he posted 26 points, had five rebounds as well, one assist, one steal. But really, I just thought you saw his playmaking, uh, Tyrese Maxi, the freshman from uh, Texas. I think you just saw the the playmaking ability that he gives this Kentucky team, and fun to see a, a big time environment against a very very good Michigan State team. Uh, to be able to see him rise to that occasion was a lot of fun. And then, Evan, we had Kansas and Duke as well. Duke eking out the 68-66 win. And this was a very turnover-laden game, a poorly shot game for Duke from a uh, field goal percentage game. This one we just kind of slogged through before we got to Michigan State, Kentucky. It was it was kind of a rough watch considering all of the chatter that was going on around Bill Self about how his name was coming up and the the recruiting scandals and what's this going to mean for Kansas and then there was the rumors that the NCAA could drop the hammer on them. So there was a lot of distraction coming in but it's nice that there's games that we're actually talking about the actual games instead of who may or may not go to jail over the the FBI stuff. But the one story in college basketball, it was it was a game that really, in the grand scheme of things, isn't all that important. Texas beat Northern Colorado. But Andrew Jones missing the better part of two years for leukemia, coming back and scoring 20 points. Those are the kinds of stories that make sports uh, what they are and why people love them so much. Oh, absolutely. Texas got the win, as you mentioned, Jones battling uh, cancer the past couple of years and coming out and scoring 20 last night. Go look up the the highlights of that game. Uh, really, really fun to watch him succeeding out there on the court. Uh, Duke with the two-point win. Uh, Trey Jones with 15 points to lead the way for Duke, uh, the latest of the Jones brothers to uh, I think going to be a, uh, a star in college basketball at Duke. You also had the big-time recruit uh, in terms of Cassius Stanley with 13 points, a couple rebounds, a couple of steals as well. So a, a turnover-laden game, I think 42 total in all. Kansas had 28 of them, and yet we're still in position to win that basketball game. So a two-point loss for Kansas, but nice to have college basketball back and not really many other crazy results. You had Louisville um, beating Miami. They're the fifth-ranked team in the country. You, ha- you had Florida taking care of North Florida uh, in, a, in a game uh, with uh, Blackshear making his debut for the Florida Gators, which that is a big addition for Mike White and company to have Kerry Blackshear, who was one of the premier uh, graduate transfers, if not the premier graduate transfer name to be had uh, on the market, if you will. So Florida securing him, getting a win last night, looks like that's going to be a very, very fun team to watch as well. Uh, We will stay in the ranks uh, of college. We will slide to college football. And Evan, before we dive into the college football playoff rankings, which I know we want to give uh, a good bit of time to that, you had the 
firing of Willie Taggart. He is out at Florida State after what I believe is just 21 games. They are paying him in the neighborhood of $17 million to go away. This was a disastrous tenure for Willie Taggart at Florida State. Uh, your impressions, it, it, it just... It felt like they it, they just had to make the move. It feels a bit inevitable, but at the same time, it just kind of feels like they never really gave him much of a chance because Florida State, under Jimbo Fisher, their last year, they were 6-6, six and six, and it, it was a cleanup job, and everybody kind of knew it was a cleanup job, especially since they came dangerously close to APR sanctions. Uh, one of the names that was floating around uh, as a potential replacement was P.J. Fleck, and he, Minnesota gave him an extension till 2026, yeah, which they, Cody was absolutely not a coincidence. They promptly uh, shut that down. Yep, that was absolutely not a coincidence. Uh, I, I think the question for Florida State now is what's next and who's next for head coach. But 21 games into a five-year contract and the Mark Schleybaugh report that the boosters – raised $20 million for the buyout like almost immediately was a bit was a bit jarring they passed the hat that collection plate must have had wheels on it because like of how quickly that got it got passed around <laughs> uh, but Florida State hasn't really been at the level where they were four or five years ago like they were six and six in the last year under Jim and Tallahassee weren't exactly sad to see him go to College Station, so I think uh, the question to I think the question to ask now is what's next. Well, and yeah, you had the you had the Bob you had the Bob Stoops thing. Uh, Urban Meyer is a guy that's going to be sought after, although I don't think going to Tallahassee. Levin, Evan, let me ask you this: a better football job is it the USC Trojans or the Florida State Seminoles? Curious to get your thoughts on this one. Like, maybe, maybe USC. If you're, if, if, if you have those two, those two gigs and you're a Stoops and Urban Meyer, whoever else might be out there, and you, you got offered USC and Florida State, which one are you taking? Probably USC because if I take the Florida State job, I got to run into Dabo Swinney every year. If I take the USC job, who's my biggest threat? Who's 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 the biggest threat? That's fair. In the Pac-12 outside of me, like Oregon, uh, outside of Oregon, like maybe Utah. Uh, it, I don't. It's it's kind of a tough It's kind of a tough call. I mean, if I had to pick between the two, but I think just because I can avoid Clemson and I don't have to deal with Dabo every year, I'm I'm just gonna take the USC job and hope for the best. That's fair. And. Now, I disagree. I would take the Florida State job, and here's a few reasons. One, you have the ACC. Yes, you have to run into Clemson, but like we're seeing this year, Wake Forest is the second-best team in the ACC. They're ranked, I think, 19th in the country. That's Wake Forest. If I'm able to come in and turn things around at Florida State, you're able to go head-to-head with Clemson. Yes, Clemson is really strong right now, but the ACC – there's nobody else. Like I can come in and 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 battle with Dabo. It's an East Coast school. Uh, it's a hotbed in terms of recruits. You know, in that in that Tallahassee area, you're able to recruit Florida, Georgia, all around there. Like I said, you're on the East Coast. I mean, I feel like we forget about some of the 
the West Coast teams, the Pac-12, you know, those guys don't get as much love. Uh, we're, we're seeing it now with Oregon and with Utah, uh, and, and they're ranked uh, well in the latest college football playoff ranking. Oregon is 7 and Utah is 8, which is phenomenal for them. But, you know, we kind of forget about those schools and they don't get as much attention as the schools on the East Coast do. And so, you know, I, I would be hard-pressed to not take that Florida State job just from the perspective of – and kind of the same thing with you were saying with USC in terms of a conference perspective. Maybe it is a little more wide open uh, for me to come in and take over and be the class of the Pac-12 – but it's not out of the realm of possibility with the tradition that Florida State has if you're able to go in and spin things around and you're able to battle Clemson every year, then, I mean, you're you're kind of on that same level. So for me, it would be the Florida State job, but uh, I, was, I was curious on where you stood on that, so wanted to get your thoughts there. But, you know, Evan, this, with this Willie Taggart thing, you know, Jimbo Fisher got overpaid to go to Texas A&M. Willie Taggart probably got overpaid to replace Jimbo Fisher. Now they've kind of overpaid to just get rid of Taggart and get him out the door. This is kind of the state of flux that this Florida State football program is in right now. It is going to be a very tall task for anyone to come in and turn around because as you mentioned, Jimbo was 6 and 6 in his last year. This isn't, you know, I've let, you know, a coach coming in going, okay, you know, things didn't work out with Taggart, but, you know, we've got this going on right now. You know, I can work with these things. I mean, you're, you could argue that the next coach will still be cleaning up, as you mentioned, uh, uh, a quote unquote cleanup job. Whoever comes in has an uphill battle, has their work cut out for them. Uh, there's a report that it's heavily implied that Bob Stoops might do it. Like, Bob Stoops retired in june of 2017 he's technically working he's the head coach of the xfl dallas renegades team so he's not opposed to working but florida state has a host of issues like probably the biggest issue for the willie taggart tenure is that in his two full recruiting classes cody he didn't land a single quarterback yeah and that's and that's been a problem he didn't land a single quarterback the one guy that he landed uh his name escapes him, but he flipped, went to North Carolina, and he's turning around the Tar Heels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, but I took the USC job because USC, I can pretty much rope off Southern California, and that's mine. That's but fair. in Florida, I got to I gotta deal with the Florida Gators. I got to deal with LSU. I got to deal with Alabama. Like, everybody's going to fight for the same – and Miami. Like, everybody's going to fight for the same guys. When I can go to Southern California, I can just say, okay, anyone from – San Diego to here is mine. And I know that they're not going anywhere and I can just rope off Southern California. No, that's completely fair. You were talking about Bob Stoops. Evan, if Stoops wants to coach again, I would think that he would want to jump back into college football. Now, I know you don't have to deal with the recruiting and things that you do if you're the head coach of an XFL team versus college football. And and I don't know where Bob Stoops is at, but you'd think if he's if he's wanting, you know, to really get into the coaching ranks again, you'd think that you'd want to take one of these blue blood college jobs. I, I don't know how he feels about it. There there were reports uh from his inner circle of people saying they don't think that he will be Florida State's head coach next season. Uh Bruce Feldman was reporting that. 
uh, here in the last day or two. So, uh, or, 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 or excuse me, earlier today. It's going to be interesting to watch because this is a program with a ton of tradition, but in the past five years has not uh, had that and has very much struggled. They struggled under Taggart. Uh, they're paying Willie Taggart nearly $2 million per win that he had uh, to go away. So this is going to be an interesting saga to watch to see if the Florida State Seminoles are able to rope in one of these guys, uh, one of these big names, uh, what's going to happen with the USC Trojans as well. Uh, very interesting coaching moves going to happen in college football. And Evan, last night the college football playoff rankings came out. Lots of discussion, lots to talk about surrounding the playoff rankings. Uh, you had the number one team, Ohio State. Number two was LSU. Alabama was three. Penn State was four. Clemson was five. Georgia was six. Let's stop there for now to begin. Do you agree? What are some of your points of contention, if any, with the top six teams that the committee revealed last night? Uh, Ohio State at number one is a bit interesting, but you can make a extremely compelling case as to why when you look at the margin of victory and how well they've played and like they're just out there smashing people every week. Uh, Clemson getting left out was a bit strange. Like I don't really understand why they got left out. They've won 24 straight games. They're the defending national champions. You would think that at least for the initial rankings, they would, they would be in the top four, but, and then within the next three weeks, all of, everyone in the top four is going to play each other within the next three weeks. So this is nowhere near concrete. We're still a month out from the final rankings. A lot is going to change. And you look at the group, the teams five through eight, Clemson at five, Georgia at six, Oregon and Utah are seven and eight. Uh, Georgia is probably going to win the SEC East. So they'll likely get the winner of LSU Alabama. And if Georgia wins the SEC title game, well, then they have a compelling argument. Maybe Utah winds up winning the Pac-12 and they can get in. Oklahoma fell all the way down to number nine, so their chances are kind of out of it. But the only undefeated team outside of the top ten that has the chance of winning their conference would be, well, Baylor as 8-0 and is currently first place in the Big 12. Their playoff hopes seem highly unlikely at this point. <laughs> right. Uh, Minnesota at number 17 has upset potential against Penn State. Like Just looking at this top four, I don't understand why Penn State is number four, considering that Clemson is the defending national champion and they've won 24 straight games. But within the next few weeks, the top four, they're all going to play each other. So a lot's going to change. Yeah, absolutely. The, there is a propensity. For, you know, everything is is likely to change maybe not likely to change but you've got a lot of these teams this weekend LSU Alabama going to play each other Ohio State Penn State are going to play each other uh, you've still got Georgia Alabama I believe you still have Georgia Auburn as well who's at six so lots to be determined you know at this point I've maintained that I that I believe Clemson is a college football playoff team now if you've been watching them and you were watching them especially early in the season taking into account the North Carolina game, even though it was a win. 
they have not looked as impressive, and you have a Penn State team that beat Michigan, who is ranked at uh, 14. They beat Michigan, and they beat Iowa, and they beat Iowa on the road. Iowa is 18 right now. So they have two impressive uh, top 25, uh, top 20 wins, and they still have uh, Minnesota to play uh, this week, and they still have Ohio State. So I think Penn State has a has a pretty solid resume right now, and they have a chance to increase that. But as you mentioned, with the Minnesota game, they have to go to Minnesota, and they have to go to Ohio State. So they have Indiana and Rutgers. Those games are at home left, but their games against ranked teams that they have left on the slate are on the road, and the Indiana team that they host has not been, you know, a slouch uh, as they are, I believe, seven and two. So, going to be interesting to watch Penn State. Like I said, I think Clemson is a top four team. Uh, I believe they will run the table. They will beat, uh, or they will win the uh, ACC. And so they're going to be sitting around, and we'll see how the committee handles some of these top four teams losing. I don't see Clemson losing. I think they'll be there. But the fact that they are debuting at number five in this initial poll tells you that the committee has not been impressed with the, I guess, body of work that Clemson has. The schedule strength is not there. But this is a team that, Evan, since that North Carolina game, 45-14 to 14 over Florida State. 45 to 10 over Louisville, 59 to 7 over Boston College, 59 to 14 over Wofford. This Clemson team, since that uh, one point win over UNC, has really, really looked good. So for me, they're a team that at number five right there, they are poised to move up. Uh, you had LSU fans, you know, on Twitter uh, with the rankings coming out, they feel like they should be ranked number one with their victories over Texas with their victory over Florida, uh, so with their victory over Auburn as well, who is number 11 right now. So, you know, you could go either way. Uh, I, I think, as you mentioned, for me, Ohio State has looked like the best team in the country in terms of the way that they've played soundly handling everyone on their schedule. You can make a strong argument that it's LSU uh, with the – the strength of schedule that they have being a little bit tougher than everybody else. But Evan, this Alabama team at three is really intriguing to me because you have an injured Tua Tungavailoa who is, for all intents and purposes, a game-time decision this weekend against LSU from a lot of the things that I've seen. This is This is a matchup this weekend. If LSU loses this game... I can see LSU still getting into the college football playoff. If Alabama loses this game, I don't see Alabama getting back into the top four. Do you agree or disagree with me on that point? I slightly disagree because Alabama has the precedent of not winning the SEC, getting in there anyway, and winning a national championship like they did two or three years ago, Nick Saban is the only coach in, I think, 75, 80 years to win a national championship without winning his division. Uh, you know, I, I want to say that it would get Alabama would get left out because there's so many other teams fighting for that spot. But, you know, I wonder how much the lure of Alabama 
uh, plays a factor into these things because I, I think what what was it like when they beat Georgia in the national championship game where Alabama didn't play in the SEC title game and they just got in anyway. Yep. Uh, so there is precedent that they don't need to win the SEC, uh, but unlike that 2017 year, you can make an argument for six or seven teams to get in let 20 you were kind of struggling to figure out who was gonna well maybe wisconsin you know maybe this other team like that 2017 field was not as strong as it is right now in 2019 right but if alabama loses then they have the built-in excuse of well but we didn't have our we didn't have our arguably our best player we were we lot we didn't have Tua, like you know. And if you're and and there are times where that's taken into consideration. Of yeah, you beat this team, but you beat them when you know this guy, this guy, and this guy were missing. But you know, it's just a lot of unknown at this point. The, these rankings right now don't really mean anything. We still have got another month left in the season. The final rankings don't come out until December eighth. A lot is going to happen and needs to happen between now and the final rankings. But for right now, let's just enjoy the game that we're going to get on Saturday because the days of 9-6 Alabama games are <laughs> over. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this LSU team with uh, Joe Burrows at quarterback, with uh, Joe Brady, the new passing game coordinator, uh, I believe Joe Burrow has already set the uh, LSU all-time touchdown records for a uh, season with 30. Uh, so that's uh, already yes. been set. So, <laughs> yep, he, he broke it. Uh, he broke it, I think, either last week or the week before, but he did it in like six or seven games. Joe Burrow has had a ridiculous season. Really, really cool story coming from Ohio State at coming to LSU and really blossoming into a guy that we're going to hear a lot of buzz about come the NFL draft. Uh, so Evan disagreeing a little bit with me on Alabama. We're gonna we'll see how that plays out. I think that's a, a very fascinating one to watch with them debuting at number three, Penn State as we mentioned at four, Clemson at five, Georgia at six. Not out of not out of things yet. Evan, Oregon at seven, Utah at eight. I think really nice love for the season, uh, the seasons that both of these teams have put together, and really where they're sitting with the games that Georgia has left, with the games that uh, that a Penn State, that an LSU and a Bama have, these two guys are, are kind of poised and they're close enough. It, you know, it's not like they're 9, 10, 11. The committee has them right there and thinks pretty highly of these two teams. And they should. Did you see the absolute manhandling that Oregon gave USC last weekend? Uh, yes, I did. Wow. It, it, it wasn't even close. And anyone who, and Justin Herbert remind, reminded people of, yeah, this is why people thought if I came out last year, I would have been the number one overall pick. Like he is still showing that he has, he looks like a, one of the top quarterbacks in the draft. You can make the argument that it might be Tua or Joe Burrow or Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert, but Oregon Outside of that game against Auburn at the beginning of the season has just destroyed people. Utah had that early slip up against USC, but they seem to have rebounded. And that's one of the axioms of college football. Like, if you're going to lose, lose early. Lose before... Yeah, lose the first one, lose the second one. Lose before mid-October. You know, that's... 
that seems to be the precedent because there aren't a lot of teams that lose games in October or late October or November and, uh, and get back in it. But this, this has been an, a really fun season because coming into the season, we just had the expectation of, Oh, it's just going to be Alabama Clemson and everybody else. But that has absolutely not been the case. And one of the more surprising games of the weekend is Penn state and Oklahoma is Penn state and Minnesota, so I'm going to ask you, Cody, what is the upset potential if you were to put a grade on it of the Golden Gophers knocking off Penn State? Uh, like how, uh, a grade in what way? Like, can I give it a percentage chance? Uh, like a percentage chance. Like if you say they, like if you were to make a choice right now uh, between Penn State and Minnesota, like what are the odds that you think of an upset are? Uh, I'd say the odds are at like, I'd put the odds at like 30%, 35% for me. I think Penn State goes to Minnesota and wins by like nine points. Uh, that game, number five, Penn State, number 13, Minnesota. Both teams 8-0. That game, a noon kickoff on Saturday in Minnesota. Uh, I think it would be a few more points if it was Penn State. I think it's a little bit over a touchdown for me personally. That's not, you know, the line of the game or anything. I just... I would give it a 30, 35% chance of Minnesota getting an upset. This is a Minnesota team that is playing really, really well right now under P.J. Fleck. As we mentioned, they are 8-0 and on the year. They are the 17th-ranked team in the country. Uh, this is a team that is playing really, really well. And, you, you know, Evan talked about it. They immediately locked up P.J. Fleck with the uh, buyout of Willie Taggart. Uh, Minnesota, some... Struggles early on with Georgia Southern, with South Dakota State, uh, narrowly beating Fresno State, but they've really kind of hit their stride since then. Uh, they destroyed Nebraska. They destroyed Illinois. They destroyed Rutgers and Maryland. Everybody destroys Rutgers and Maryland. But the next four games for Minnesota, Evan, they host Penn State, who's the fifth-ranked team in the country. They go to Iowa, who's the 18th-ranked team in the country, and then they have Northwestern, and then they host Wisconsin, who is number 16 right now. If they are able to get that Penn State win, and you can eke out a, another one of those two, if they stay uh, both of those teams, Wisconsin and Iowa, where they are, this is a Minnesota team that could make a big leap. I, I don't think, you know, you're not going to see them get from 17 to 8, but, I mean, you could see Minnesota crack the top, uh, I think, 11, 12, uh, maybe even get to that 10 spot if they're able to uh, put a, a win against Penn State on the resume and then get maybe one or both of those other ones. This is a team that's poised to move up. Yeah, but how far are they going to move up? Because I don't think they're going to jump from 13 right now all the way to the top four. Like they would need a no, lot of things to No, they're not going to do that. Way. But I mean, they could get they could get to, they could get to I think they could get to 10 because I can see them. You know, I think they'll beat one of Iowa or or Wisconsin, and so then you would need that Penn State win. But for me, that would be enough to get them to to ten or eleven. Obviously, it depends on what kind of happens with that group of Oklahoma at nine, uh, two loss Florida at ten, Auburn at eleven, Baylor at twelve, uh, some of those teams. But yeah, no, I I think that I think they could get up there. They could, but. My question is, how far are they going to go? I mean, because this kind of feels like a lot of 2015 Iowa where they they where they where just wouldn't get up there, wouldn't get up there. Then they finally got into the playoffs, but then lost in the Big Ten title game to Michigan State. 
this kind of feels 2015 Iowa ish to me. No, that's that's and then, that's fair. And then Iowa, of course, got ran out of the building of the Rose Bowl by Christian McCaffrey and Stanford. But yeah, um, I a lot of people around here still have bad memories of that of <laughs> right. that game. I, I want. I want Minnesota to win just for just for the chaos factor. But at the same time, it's like I kind of want Penn State and Ohio State to still be in the top four when they play each other just to see how everything shakes out. So I I don't know who I want to win. Like on one hand, I'm rooting for Minnesota because it would just throw everything into a blender. But then on the other hand, it's but I kind of want to see Ohio State and Penn State be undefeated when they play each other on the 23rd. Oh, it's it's. It's a, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. Yeah, no, for sure. And like I said, this is not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that Minnesota's going to skyrocket up to eight, but where they're at right now, if you get a win against Penn State, you have three ranked teams left on your schedule. Toughest part of your schedule here to close it out. They're a team that I could see uh, moving up a little bit. Evan, uh, 538 uh, updated their college football predictions. They update them after every game. They've updated them after the new college football playoff committee ranking comes out. They still have they have Clemson, 82% chance to make the playoff. Uh, Ohio State at 67. And then LSU at 38. Alabama at 50. Oregon at 35. So they think after Clemson and Ohio State, you could you could really have anybody's game there to to claim those last couple of spots, which is interesting with Clemson debuting at number five in the poll. They debuted at number five, but like we've mentioned several times over this podcast, the top four teams are gonna play each other within the next three weeks, so their movement is inevitable, and they're at number five. So when one of the like Alabama and LSU, one of those teams is gonna lose, which in theory is going to push Clemson up. It might, it might not. It depends on how the LSU game, the LSU, the LSU Alabama game goes. Like if this game turns out to be incredibly one-sided, like let's say LSU goes into Tuscaloosa, blows the doors off and they win something along the lines of 42 to 17, then okay, we can slide Alabama down to number five or number six and, and then Clemson goes up. But if it's a tight competitive game, like we all think it's going to be, uh, it might be a little bit tougher for Clemson to get into the top four, at least in the initial rankings. But the final rankings don't come out until December 8th. We've got a long way to go. And this is going to be a fun November because you can talk me into about six or seven teams getting in. And when was the last time you could make a compelling argument for four or f- for like six or seven teams to get into a playoff? Like, I think never, right? No, that, that's a great point. I mean, you've got Ohio State, Clemson, they seem like they'll be there. LSU, Alabama, one, if not both of those guys are there. Penn State has a good enough team to be there. Georgia's not out of the woods. Oregon and Utah aren't out of the woods. Uh, you know, I think Oklahoma, who's number nine with one loss, if they really put together some impressive wins, uh, they'll they'll be playing Baylor. They'll have a chance to win that conference. So th- that's a team that, while I don't think they have enough to climb all the way up there, if you got if you have some of the things that shake out ahead of them that we think might, you know, that's a team that could really vault up there. So that's just uh, you know, there's a lot still left to go, as we mentioned. 
obviously, the premier matchup is LSU-Alabama this weekend, a 3.30 game. Uh, that is going to be the the game of the weekend that everyone is watching in terms of the one, the biggest college football playoff implications of a game this week, but just the 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 couple of teams that we think are are two of the best teams in the country going to go at it: LSU and Alabama. Evan, let's slide. Uh, stay in football. Let's slide to the NFL, uh, and I want to start with the best game that I watched uh, this past weekend, and that was Baltimore beating New England thirty-seven to twenty. And really saying, hey, we are here to compete for the AFC championship. Now, the Patriots, they have struggled at times this year, especially offensively. Baltimore with Lamar Jackson at quarterback, uh, the dynamic nature of what he can do. For me, that was that was one of the better games. Uh, one, I guess, one of the games that I was most interested in to see how the young quarterback Lamar Jackson does against Bill Belichick because he is uh, darn near unbeaten. I think Lamar Jackson was only the fourth or fifth uh, young quarterback to beat Bill Belichick, so that was one that I was very intrigued in. And thank you, Lamar Jackson, because he saved us from a brutal stretch of games like outside of that what else were we gonna talk about uh so here are the four bill belichick during his time in new england as head coach has only lost to four first and second year quarterbacks here's the entire list sean king dante culpepper colin kaepernick lamar jackson that's it and king and culpepper were all the way back in 2000 his first year so first and second year quarterbacks do not beat Bill Belichick. I think Lamar Jackson is one of the more exciting players in the league. Is he the MVP? Uh, I think Russell Wilson has a lot to say about that, but that was that was a pretty eye-opening game. Like Cody, you blinked and the and the Patriots were down 17 nothing. Oh, absolutely. Like th- this is a thing that has not happened this season. Coming into this game, they had allowed four offensive touchdowns total. Baltimore scored four. And Mark Ingram quietly had over 100 yards rushing in this game. So it's not just Lamar Jackson. He's got Mark Ingram, Hollywood Brown, the first round wide receivers looking good. He's got good tight ends to throw to. The Ravens defense isn't what it traditionally is, but it does enough for them to win games. And Baltimore looks like a really dangerous team. And Lamar Jackson is really fun to watch. I love watching this kid play. Oh yeah. He he is a lot of fun to play, uh, a lot of fun to watch play. Excuse me. No doubt about that. Yeah. You mentioned the Mark Ingram thing. This was a, you know, a guy in Mark Ingram coming from new Orleans last year, he was available and the Ravens did not blink an eye in terms of we're going to go bring this guy in uh, Baltimore at six and two is tied for second with the Buffalo Bills in the AFC. For my money, they're a better team than Buffalo, especially offensively. But yeah, Lamar Jackson uh, has has really had a nice uh, second season, has really progressed throwing the football. And just watching that game, and we know that the, we know the defense that the Patriots traditionally have and one of the top units in the history of the league, the pace that they were on, uh, before the game last week, 
this is a this is a a defense that traditionally outside of those four instances that Evan mentioned, especially going against young quarterbacks, really takes care of business. But Lamar gave that New England defense a lot of problems. Uh, New England got back in the game, as Evan mentioned. They Baltimore jumped out 17 nothing. New England got back in it before Baltimore kind of uh, ran away in the end. But 115 yards for Mark Ingram on the ground. Uh, Lamar Jackson and his performance – uh, throwing the football and running again. He was 163 in a touchdown, nothing crazy passing, but 17 of 23. Uh, and Mark Ingram, 15 carries, 115. Lamar Jackson had 61 yards on the ground and a couple of touchdowns. So this is a dynamic Baltimore Ravens team. Evan, I thought you made a great point. The defense is not what we've traditionally seen from Baltimore, but it's one of those things where you're not asking them to be that unit. You're asking them to be somebody that can hold somebody to, you know, 20, 21 points. And with the offense that the Ravens have, you know, you think they will be able to score that as well. Evan, outside of that Baltimore-New England game, uh, Seattle-Tampa Bay was an interesting game. Oakland-Detroit. But really, I thought the, the, the weekend was bookended by games. I thought the San Francisco-Arizona game was great. And I thought the Baltimore-New England game was interesting. But after that San Francisco-Arizona game, I really like where this Cardinals team is going. Now, Kyler Murray and company with the late touchdown, the long touchdown, uh, kind of uh, made the final scoreline a little bit different. But with them bringing in Kenyon Drake, going against that vaunted San Francisco defense, they really made it a game last Thursday night. And They've shown that, you know, I think they're making strides with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray uh, if you're the Arizona Cardinals. If you're management for Arizona, you have to be happy with with Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, the, the 49ers won that game, but Arizona made them work for it. Like, they didn't just come in and destroy Arizona like we kind of thought was going to happen when you've got a, a rookie quarterback going against that defensive line that has just given everyone fits. I, you know, there seems to be a lot of optimism around Kyler Murray that he's showing that making, making him the number one overall pick was right for Arizona. You can make the argument that they probably should have taken Nick, Nick Bosa because there's no such thing as too many pass rushers. Plus pl- him and Chandler Jones would be just terrifying for the rest of that division, but that team needed a quarterback and it's working out. But to go back to the Ravens for on one point, it's not just that Lamar Jackson is looking great. It's that Lamar Jackson wound up in a situation where the coach tailored the offense around what he can do, yes. which nobody does. That's very important. No, he, he could have really easily fallen into one of these old school guys where he's like, nah, it's not what I'm going to do. I don't like running quarterbacks like kind of like what you saw Michael Vick. The first couple of years was doing this kinds of like he went into Lambeau and won that playoff game in 2002 where nobody had done it. Then Jim Mora took over and tried to turn him into a five step drop West coast quarterback, which Michael Vick is not. So it's re- it's great for him to succeed. And also John Harbaugh to tailor what this guy can do. Cause he could have very easily fallen into a rigid system where they want him to be a five step guy. And that's not him. And I think that's more important, but 
for the rest of the slate, I was surprised at how close that Tampa Bay Seattle game was because on paper, Tampa Bay has a really talented offense, but they're two and six. They have they're they're a top five scoring offense. Godwin and Evans are arguably the best duo in terms of wide receivers. It just comes down to the the talent's just not there. Like the talent outside of them is just not there. And it's it, if they could just figure out the quarterback, things would be better in Tampa Bay. I just feel I just feel bad for him. And Bruce Arians, on paper, the offense is great. It's just they're two and six, and it's just not clicking. Yeah. It- you know, and that's, you know, I think an indictment on Jameis Winston. Look, this is a team that lost in overtime to Seattle, 40-34. to 34. They've been in pretty much every game. Uh, a four-point loss to Tennessee, uh, an 11-point loss to Carolina, a seven-point loss to New Orleans. They went to L.A. and beat the Rams by 15. Uh, they lost to the Giants by one point. They beat Carolina by six and they lost by San Francisco by a couple of touchdowns to open the season. But Jameis Winston has had some monster games, but it is the turnovers of Jameis Winston, the untimely interceptions that are really hurting this football team because a chance to beat Seattle, uh, a chance to, like I said, only lost by a touchdown to New Orleans. They lost to New York. That's a game that they should have won. You could you look at it and you go, well, heck, if we – if Jameis doesn't turn the ball over in the Tennessee game, if he takes a little more care against New York uh, and they're able to win that game, all of a sudden they're 500 instead of looking at – or close to 500 instead of looking at 2-6. and six. So, you know, we when looking at the NFL, you've got Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, who was benched in Tennessee, a couple of guys that are going – that are up for new contracts, and – Evan, I think both of those guys could potentially have to reinvent themselves, go be a backup quarterback somewhere, although there have been a lot of reports out of Tampa Bay that they were willing to uh, commit to Jameis Winston for maybe at least another year, which for me would be scary, but okay. I mean, the GM is the guy that drafted him. He's tied to him. So if he gets rid, you know, it's the same like, well, the GM is still there. He's the guy that picked him there, you know, that that kind of thing. But we talked about it in our season preview that when we were entering our last year at Waldorf together, the big question was Winston or Mariota. And we're four and a half, five years in. And the answer still appears to be neither because if Ryan Tannehill is the answer, then I don't want to know what the question was because things in Tennessee have not gone well. And it seems like they might both be in the market for quarterbacks in a league where a lot of teams are going to be in the market for quarterback. So Miami is going to be looking for one Cincinnati. If the Ryan Finley thing doesn't work out, they're going to be looking for one. Uh, Maybe, Ben Roethlisberger calls it his a career, and there and Rudolph hasn't done enough to sell Pittsburgh. Like there, there could be a lot of turnover at the quarterback position, and if Tampa Bay wants to get a quarterback in the draft, they might have to move some assets to make it happen. They may have to do that. When we're looking at Jameis Winston, his first year in the NFL, he was six and ten, four thousand yard passer, twenty two touchdowns, fifteen interceptions. 
Uh, second year in the league, uh, nine and seven, his best year, uh, 4,000 plus yards again, 60% passer, 28 touchdowns, 18 interceptions. And since then, 19 TDs, 11 picks, 19 TDs, 14 picks. This year, 16 TDs, 12 picks. He's on pace to to throw the most interceptions of his career at 24. He had 12 through eight games. As you mentioned earlier, you know, Mariota and Winston, who would you take? That was the big debate when they both came out. At this point, I wouldn't want to touch either of them if I'm an NFL team and I'm in need of a starting quarterback. Jameis Winston in Tampa, Mariota in Tennessee, Mariota on the bench in Tennessee. Uh, I think with... Tennessee benching Marcus Mariota, obviously he's probably more likely to move on. I think that Tampa, as you mentioned, probably maybe they'll tie into Jameis for another year, maybe another couple years after this, but it sure looks like neither of them are the answer there. And Evan, talking about the answer at quarterback for an NFL team, there's a couple that have interesting crossroads here. The Carolina Panthers, with Cam Newton going to uh, IR with the Liz Frank fracture in his foot, you have Kyle Allen stepping in and playing pretty well in the absence of Cam Newton. You have the element of if they are able to move off of Newton by cutting him, by moving him, they can save almost $20 million against the cap. The Panthers are in a very interesting position uh, with Kyle Allen playing well, maybe you know not the most flashy guy in the world, but with Allen playing well and with Cam Newton's future uncertain, this is a Carolina front office that has some decisions to make as well. They have a lot of decisions to make. Uh, namely, is Kyle Allen your guy, or are you going to draft a new one and have a competition going into 2020, or maybe you sign a bridge quarterback for a year? Uh, Carol, uh, there are no, there's no guaranteed money left on Newton's deal, so they can just let him go or they can trade him. It, it's, it feels like a really disappointing end for, uh, Cam Newton in Carolina because he was a former MVP, would have won the Super Bowl except for Denver's defense was unstoppable that year. And the last time we saw him healthy, Carolina was one of the best teams in the league. He gets hurt and then everything just fell apart. Uh, but this is a really sad story to the end for Cam Newton because, and it's also a bit of a cautionary tale because Cody Cam Newton took a lot of hits during his time in Carolina. He took a lot of hits. He took a beating. And I wonder if he is let go, where is the next spot that Cam Newton's going to end up? If Carolina decides not to bring him back, where, where is he going to go? That's an interesting point because you know, I think this was the year with all of the injuries that Cam has had coming off the shoulder injury. Evan, I think this was a year that Cam Newton was looking forward to to try and prove to some people that he could be more of a pocket passer and play the game in a little bit different way because of the injuries than we've seen from him in his NFL career. And I think that this year was a chance to really showcase that going into the fact that all of the guaranteed money has been paid to him. This is a chance to say, hey, look, to one show Carolina or to show other teams, you know, I can still play this position. I may not be able to be the force that I was 
carrying the football, making plays with my feet, but I can stand here and make plays as the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers or for your respective team if you're looking at bringing me in. And so with him going on IR, you'd have to think it might be, you know, he's played his last games in in Carolina, but where does he stand going forward in his career? Because this was a really big chance to show uh, his current team and a lot of other teams that he could kind of take on this role and be this type of quarterback. And with these injuries, this is really a lost year to try and do that. Uh, And you have Kyle Allen with the front office having to figure out if Kyle Allen is the answer. Carolina right now, five and three. They are, if you're going, you know, kind of ranking the teams by record, they're in the eight spot right now in the NFC. They've played well. Big matchup in Green Bay uh, this weekend, but wins over the Titans, the Bucks. A nice win over the Texans in a low-scoring game. Nice win over the Jaguars. They beat the Cardinals as well. This is a team that only lost by three to the Rams in the opener and by six to the Bucks. Now, those were Cam Newton games, but got blown out in San Francisco. That's a tough game for everybody. Evan, they have the Packers, the Falcons, the Saints, the Redskins, the Falcons, Seattle, New Orleans, Indianapolis. This is a team that could still... You know, this is a team that could win nine games and be nine and seven. I don't think it's going to be enough to get into the playoffs in the NFC with the the depth of the playoff teams in that field in uh, the NFC. But this is a team that if Kyle Allen's able to get three or four more wins, I have to think you have to at least stick with him for the next year, don't you? So, so that's your course of action. If you're the Carolina GM, you're just going to ride it out with Kyle Allen and Will Greer, and we're going to have a competition and may the best man win. For me, yes. You're not, you're not even, you're not even thinking about a one-year bridge quarterback. Like I don't know, bring in like an Andy Dalton on like a one-year four million dollar thing, throw him out there for a year, and then try again in 2021. Okay, well, well, I could see, you know, I definitely, if I'm the GM, I'm doing my due diligence looking at the Teddy Bridgewaters and the Andy Daltons of the world. However, I don't want to tie up a ton of money in a bridge guy. So, you know, if I could get one of those guys, I don't think any of us would argue that if I could get Teddy Bridgewater or Andy Dalton, those two guys would be upgrades over Kyle Allen from a talent perspective. But I, I don't think that, you know, the market for both of those guys, there's going to be a lot of teams in on it. And so if I'm the the management in Carolina, I don't want to get in this giant bidding war for a bridge, for a quote-unquote bridge quarterback when I have a guy in Kyle Allen who's thrown for almost 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns, four picks. The QBR, the, the, QBR, the rating is not there, but he's a 60% passer. He's a guy that doesn't make a ton of mistakes, is able to control the game. You have Christian McCaffrey, one of the best weapons in the NFL, and you have a pretty good defense. So I think Allen is showing that he can be successful. You know, I don't think Kyle Allen's going to take you to a Super Bowl, but you might have your bridge quarterback here in Kyle Allen. So you have a guy that can get you there and you can address some other positions on the roster. You can continue to look in the draft and try and find that next quarterback. So my thing would be, I think the bridge quarterback is Kyle Allen, the guy you have on the roster right now. And so you move off of Cam, 
you save the salary cap money, you have your bridge guy right now who you're not paying anything. Let's address some areas around the team. Let's look in the draft and try and find our next quarterback. That would be my course of action. I don't need to bring in one of those other guys. I have that guy playing quarterback for me right now. I'm trying to find a compelling argument on why they should keep uh, Cam Newton, but all of the signs point to his days are numbered, considering that there's no guaranteed money, so they're not so they're not going to be in like salary cap. They're not going to be in a, a bind salary cap wise if they decide to let him go. I, I I think the only reason you would keep him is just like he's the last. It's the last year of his contract. Just 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 let him have it and just kind of see what we have after he comes back next year. But Kyle Allen needed that game uh, last weekend because it looked like the bottom might have fallen out. Because when you get blown out by the 49ers, and if he came out and had another bad game against uh, against the Tennessee Titans, this conversation right. would be a lot different now than it is than it is today. If he went out there through had another three interception game and ten and Carolina lost by 20, the conversation around this Cam Newton thing would be a lot different. But Cody, there were three quarterbacks with the last name Allen last week. All three of them won. Yeah, Josh, Josh Allen. Allen, Kyle Allen, and the third guy, his name is Brandon Allen. And if you're not quite sure who that is, well, unless you were a diehard, Unless you are a devoted Arkansas Razorback fan, <laughs> you would have no idea who he was. He was a sixth-round pick in 2016 for the Jacksonville Jaguars, bounced around between them and the L.A. Rams. The last time he threw a pass, Cody, uh, up until Sunday, was the 2016 Liberty Bowl, which was January 2nd, 2016. It had been 42 months since the last time he threw a pass. Jeez. He was 13 of 20. 193 yards, granted 75 of it came on one play to Noah Fant. Two touchdowns, no interceptions, and the Denver Broncos picked up the win. Cody, how impressed were you with uh, Brandon Allen in his first game uh, in his career? I was very impressed. You, again, it's a guy, you're not asking him to do a ton. You have a, a two-headed uh, two-headed monsters in the running backs in terms of Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, two guys that can carry the ball. Lindsay had nine carries, uh, 92 yards and a touchdown. You did. You had the one very long pass. So if you take that out, he was 11 of 19 for like a buck 20. But he had, you know, he had a couple of touchdowns. Again, he didn't turn the ball over in terms of throwing an interception. He didn't fumble it uh, and give it away to Cleveland he was able to control the game. And so a nice job by Allen stepping in Evan, this Cleveland Browns team on the other side, Denver getting their third win of the year, Cleveland falling to two and six Baker Mayfield gets outdueled by uh, Brandon Allen. This Cleveland Browns team is continuing to head in the wrong direction. And also their uh, players are like threatening to fight people on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, did you see? Did you did you see the Baker Mayfield like podium memes of like what Baker Mayfield looks like? Oh, those were like the Baker I tweeted Mayfield. one. They're they're those, fantastic. Those were those were the best. Like I can rely on sports Twitter to just give me the best memes. Like I I'm I'm here for it. I love it. Uh, but Cleveland 
was a team that we all just kind of agreed that was gonna that was gonna be the class of the AFC North, and it just hasn't worked. Uh, at this point, their season it's pretty safe to call it to call it a bust. People are asking for Freddie Kitchen's head, which I think is a, a bit unfair. I I would give him a second year because the 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 reputation of Cleveland is like they just cycle through coaches. It's like, they'll give you like a year a two year. It'll give you a year, two years and they fire you. So if you're one of these hot recruits, uh, one of these uh, hot coaching candidates and you have options, why would I go to Cleveland? I mean, they'll, they have a history of showing me they're going to give me two years at best. Am I going to pack up my family to go to Cleveland and then coach the team for, 30 games and they fire me and go get a new guy in two years. So I would argue in favor of keeping Freddie kitchens, because if you dump him after one year and you try and go after like, uh, what's the name of the defensive coordinator for the 49ers? Robert Sala, I think his name is. Yes. Sala. Yep. So if you go after a Robert Sala or another top coaching name, why would I go to Cleveland? Like, they're not going to give me time. So I would argue in favor of keeping Freddie Kitchens just just for that reason. That's fair, I guess. I mean, you know, if you're a coaching candidate, you could come work with Baker Mayfield. You have Nick Chubb, one of the best running backs in the NFL. You have Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry. If you're an offensive mind, I think you'd jump at the chance to go with this Cleveland team. The one Where I would go against you with Freddie Kitchens is – you make good points, and I, I totally understand that, and I totally agree. I think, you know, when you only give guys one year and you just keep cycling through, you, you don't create any stability, and you don't really give it a chance to succeed. But this is a team, Freddie Kitchens is still calling the plays, and Cle- you, you, have, you still have Baker Mayfield. You still have Nick Chubb. You added Odell Beckham Jr., and your offense has regressed by a lot. Now, granted, the offensive line is not where it needs to be, and we can all acknowledge that, that the offensive line is a major issue. But Baker Mayfield has not played well. The offense has not looked as potent as we thought it would look this year under Kitchens. So for that reason, I think you'll have a lot of people saying, look, we were supposed to be a better team. We have all these guys, and we didn't get any better uh, if things continue to the the way they're going right now and so that would be the argument against Freddie Kitchens look we know the schedule lightens up uh I I thought that was a game that they had to win against Denver they dropped it 24 to 19 but you have Buffalo you have Pittsburgh playing much better but you have Miami Pittsburgh Cincinnati twice uh Arizona Baltimore so there are a lot of winnable games I think Cleveland could ultimately get back to 500 8 and 8 which is interesting because they went 7-9 and nine last year. So if you get to 500, you're technically a game better than you were last year. But were you really better as a team? And so it's an interesting evaluation for this front office with Freddie Kitchens to determine what they want to do with this football team. Evan, real quick, a couple of things to touch on before we finish up. Nick Foles, uh, it came out that Jacksonville is going to give Nick Foles the starting job back when he returns, I believe, in week 11, which is coming up here in a couple of weeks. Good move or bad move to give the reins back to Nick Foles after what they've seen from Gardner Minshew? Uh, Good, good move, because if you're going to give 
Nick Foles, that kind of contract. Gardner Minshew needed to have a 2016 Dak Prescott season where it was so it was so obvious that he is the guy that we're not even going to entertain putting Foles back in there. Uh, Minshew has looked fine. I think that from a statistical perspective, uh, he's looked about as good as we expect a sixth-round rookie to look. I think uh, the Minshew hype was more legend and mustache than actual performance. But Nick Foles was given a four-year, $88 million contract of $50 million guaranteed. So he's going to play one game, and then that's it. But in four of his... In one, two, three, four, he had a stretch of four straight starts where he didn't complete 60% of his passes in the middle of the season. Uh, he's ever he's completed over 65% of his passes twice all year. So it's not like Minshew was out there, you know, looking like the, you know, the league's best kept secret. He's, he's looked fine, but you have to put Nick Foles back out there. I, I, that was absolutely the right decision for, for Jacksonville. Like you gave, you gave Nick Foles a big contract when he broke his collarbone, he was throwing a touchdown pass <laughs> right. in the season opener. So s- why not see what we can do with Nick Foles and then we'll reevaluate come the off season. A lot of good points there. I agree. You're paying Nick Foles that money. You bring him over from the Eagles. I think you've got to play him. Minshew was a nice story for those first few games for Jacksonville. He's kept Jacksonville afloat, you know, with things the way they are in the AFC. You know, they, they, maybe they're not out of it yet if they're able to get Foles back with Leonard Fournette and DJ Chark at wide receiver and D.D. Westbrook and some of those weapons that Jacksonville has. So uh, going to be interesting to see Nick Foles get back in the fold. And Evan, real quick before we finish up, the Chargers to London, that was a story that had a lot of traction here in the last day or so. Uh, Dean Spanos came out and in not mincing words basically said, uh, no effing way, that's not happening. Do you think we'll see a team in London? And do you think that the Chargers to London was ever really uh, a, a, a real thing? Uh, no, I don't think we're ever going to see a team in London. I think that you're far more likely to have them put a team in Hawaii than you are in London. Uh, but I I think that story was, was nonsense because what else was the owner going to say? We're like, well, of course we've looked at going to London. I mean, they're, they're in that stadium deal with the LA Rams. They, the the turnover in the LA market has been embarrassing to say the least when that there was a reporter for the LA times who was there at that game and said the stands was about 80 to 85% green Bay fans. And do I think it's going to get better once you get that new stadium in? Uh, I think the move for the chargers would have been if they were going to move, have the Raiders go to LA with, the Rams and have the, and have the chargers go to Vegas. Vegas is a brand new market. They would invade almost anybody. They would embrace almost anybody. I, but the response, the response from when San Diego left LA was like, okay, why, why are they coming here again? 
Like it just seemed. That's a good point. The resp- the response from L.A. about the Chargers moving could best be described as either apathetic or confusing. And I think it was a lot more closer to apathetic than confusing. But I would put the odds of an NFL franchise in London at around 5%. I'm not saying that it's never going to happen, but if there is going to pick a team, it's going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars because the Jaguars are like the team in London. They they did a survey of uh, people in the UK and how they learned about football and their favorite team. And by an overwhelming margin, the Jacksonville Jaguars were the were the most were the favorite team in UK. So it's uh, I'm glad that they're doing it. You know, expanding the market is is a big deal. But I just find a team there permanently is highly unlikely. A lot of things that they'd have to work out, especially from a players association perspective. Guys uh, having to live overseas. You know, every people would be moving their families and such. Uh, most likely. So there will be a lot of things that you'd have to work out. Uh, I, I don't want to say never. Uh, I, I think that we very well uh, will see a team in London. Uh, when that happens, I don't know, because like I said, I think there'd be a lot to try and figure out from a logistics standpoint and from you know who moves, uh, uh, how they how they do it schedule wise with the you know what what conference, what division, you know all of those sorts of things. Uh, do they make a move and have multiple teams over there uh, with with a couple of teams and do it that way so you have you know travel partners or something like that? So it'd be interesting to see how that works out. I think it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I definitely think it's something that we're not going to see anytime soon. Evan, a couple of the biggest games before we go. Uh, Minnesota is at Dallas this week. Seattle at San Francisco. Those are probably your two uh, your two headliner games, your Sunday night and Monday night game. I think Rams-Steelers is interesting. Uh, I think Carolina-Green Bay is interesting. But I'm really looking at that Minnesota-Dallas game and Seattle-San Francisco because I think a lot of people are curious to see if Minnesota is for real. And I think a lot of people are very intrigued to see that Monday night football matchup between the Seahawks and the 49ers. I'm, I'm interested to see those games too. The one game that I'm interested in is the Ravens and the Bengals, just because I want to watch Lamar Jackson. Like that is the <laughs> only reason I want to watch that game. I want to see Lamar Jackson. I don't care who he's playing or when he's playing. If he's on, if he's on the TV, I'm watching it. Uh, that That's my whole reason for watching the, uh, the Ravens, Bengals game. Uh, another interesting game for me to watch would have to be the. I, I want to see how well Kyle Allen does against that Green Bay Packers defense uh, in Lambeau, especially when, if you live in the Midwest, Cody, we got the first uh, lasting snowfall last night, which means that it snowed last night and it stuck. So. It's gonna be it's gonna be cold in Lambeau, and the and it's projected to be 32 degrees and snowing by kickoff at 3:30 Central Time. There we go. So let's see how well Kyle Allen can do in the cold in Lambeau. That's gonna be a big environment for Kyle Allen in Carolina. Buffalo at Cleveland kind of heads headlines the one o'clock slate of games. That one could be a defensive battle. Buffalo in Cleveland. 
Uh, we know Buffalo's defense is the strength of its team. Cleveland, uh, at this point, the defense has played pretty well. They've just been on the field too much, so they haven't been able to do very much about that. The offense needs to catch up and help them out. That's going to do it for us here on episode number 10 of the From the Booth podcast. We appreciate you sticking with us, uh, tuning in, listening every week to the podcast. Uh, Give us a follow on Twitter at From the Booth Pod. Uh, That's where you can follow the show. You can get all of the episodes. We post uh, teasers and links to all of the episodes. Uh, To listen to the show, uh, head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, You can find it on TuneIn as well, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Podbean, basically anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find the From the Booth podcast. So make sure to uh, do that. Check us out. Subscribe so you get the episode notifications every week. Uh, As we always mention every week as well, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Drop us a comment about how you enjoy the show. A number of you have done that already, and we greatly appreciate how that helps out in terms of us getting found in Apple Podcasts. Uh, Thanks to Evan Eichen, as usual, my co-host, and uh, thank you all for listening. We really, really appreciate it. We appreciate the following we've had so far, 10 episodes in, uh, still going strong, still planning on bringing you plenty of episodes in the future every single week right here on the From the Booth podcast.